Come on, let's go to his throne together in prayer. Father, we bless you and thank you so much that goodness is running after us. We wouldn't be where we are if it weren't for you. Thank you that you've been faithful all of our lives. We haven't always understood all the ups and downs, but through it all, through it all, we're learning to trust in you. And so, Lord, I lift up your people today. I lift up parents as we uh, conclude this series on parenting. We surely lift up all of our parents, grandparents, surrogate parents. God, we need you today in a very, very contrarian and adversarial culture. Teach us how to raise children, raise young adults and young students in a way that honors you and loves you. Thank you for what you shall do in this day. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Give God your best hand clap of praise. Come on. Come on, give God your best. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of our God. Amen. Amen. Good morning to you all. All righty. Y'all should be well rested. You got an extra hour now. Come on now. Tell your neighbor you got an extra hour now. Stop it. Stop it. Amen. So I noticed nobody came too early this morning. So y'all should be ready. Amen. Praise the Lord. He's good. And we thank God for that extra hour to our online crew. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today as we continue with the Lord and for what he's doing in our lives. Just a couple of things before we get into our word. Uh, how many of y'all have already voted? Let me see your hands. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. I think many times when we vote, we, we think that things will change instantly. And that's not how the democratic process works. But it works over generations. It works over time. And so we have to be consistent. And so for those of you who voted, God bless you. But you know a lot of folk that need to vote. Amen. Amen. So I need you to remind them, look, if I got to carry your behind to the polls <laughs> and, and tell them, Pastor said I can say behind. Amen. <laughs> we are living in some dangerous times, aren't we? We really are. And I can't emphasize that enough. We've come so far. I don't want to see that the things that our forefathers fought for rolled back to an era that needs to be gone. Amen. 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 Uh, I want to conclude our series today. I kind of jumped into it last month and we had a number of events that took place and then I was out one Sunday and I'm, I'm back and feeling fine, but I wanted to really lift up the month of October for our parents, our grandparents, step-parents, surrogate parents, and even for all those that are not parenting. Amen for you to know that God has a word for you as well. Because if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, then you know God is your Father. Amen. And so that has been the goal of what we've been after in this series. On last Sunday, um, we did take some questions uh, during the service, and I want to thank each and every one of you that participated in that. We obviously had way more questions than we were able to answer and so what we're going to do, Joe and I will be answering all those questions in a video and we will post it on our social media pages for our parents and for anyone that wants to view them. Because we are in difficult times when it comes to raising children. Amen. And we need all the wisdom that we can get. Amen. So I want to look at a passage of scripture that I think can be very helpful for us 
in this day. Our meditation text comes from one, Psalm 145 and 4, the New Living Translation, and reads like this, Let each generation tell its children of you, of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. Amen. Every generation has a different experience with the Lord, and we should do the same with our own. And then our text for today is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 42, and verse 52. I want to encourage you to read all of chapter 2, verse 39 through 52, but these verses serve as the bookends for this story that we want to lift up today in this series. And here's what it says. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. Child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace or favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And then drop down to verse 52, and it says of Jesus, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. And I want to talk about the culture of parenting or the culture for parent, parenting, the culture for parenting. And the question I really want to raise is, how do we parent our children and students in a culture whose values and beliefs are contrary to ours. And I would argue that are sometimes even adversarial to what we're trying to instill in our own children. In a word, how do we parent our children in a culture that is thirsting to parent them for us? I came up at a time in which parents raised their, uh, their children by this one axiom, my way or the highway. Anybody grow up in that house? <laughs> Amen. But how many of y'all know if you bust out that line, you may see them hit the highway and never return? And, and I, I want to be clear here today. I don't want to be misunderstood or, or, or misquoted here. I, I, tr I truly believe and wholeheartedly believe in parental authority and parental respect. I believe in God's vision for family. And, and in the family, God gave mom and dad the authority over children. I believe in that. I believe in the respect that parents ought to receive. Uh, but my question to all of us this morning is, is there a way to parent our children and students in such a way where we can remain true to our precious values without alienating our children that we love so much? How do, we, how do we balance that? How do we deal with the tension of raising our children? Can we parent remaining true to our faith and values without alienating our children that we love? Because it's a challenge today, isn't it? It's not like it was back in the day. But I believe we can, and I believe our text this morning gives us an opportunity for that. It answers that question. As Christians, we, we, we usually dismiss the influence of Joseph and Mary's uh, influence on the life of Jesus. The miracles, the message, the ministry, uh, all that Jesus did 
we, we kind of assume that it was because of his deity. And surely, let me be quick to say, I do believe that the Father was working in his life, and I do accept wholeheartedly or embrace wholeheartedly the deity of Christ. But Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself. In other words, he laid aside divine privilege, and he took up the natural challenges of humanity. In other words, though his ontology was transcendent, his natural and earthly essence was anthropological. He, he was God and man at the same time, and yet he did not depend on his divinity to do what God had sent him to do. And I believe what we have in this text this morning in a word is that Joseph and Mary parented Jesus in a way that enabled him to be what he would eventually come. And I think most of us would agree that jo Joseph and Mary did pretty well, didn't they? <laughs> they did. And so when we look at their lives, I, I just want to encourage every parent that, yes, you, you can parent your children in an adversarial, sometimes contrarian culture. Yes, you, you can influence your children and students because... Children and students still want to be influenced by their parents. And yes, you can raise your children to love God and respect others and to make a difference in this world. I was talking to a friend of mine, pastor friend, and we were sharing about this. And it's one thing that you can't deny from a child. A child always wants to know his mama and daddy. No, no matter what, the culture, the devil, nobody can sever this natural uh, spiritual bond that God has placed in the heart of a child for his mom and for his dad. And so, yes, you can do that. Yes, you can do that. And so our text this morning, it's a, it's a, it's a pre-summary statement of the temple story about Jesus at the age of 12. And the key to the story is right here in verse 40 and in verse 52. Uh, both verses are statements about the life of Jesus. Uh, this is a, a literary feature called an inclusio. And, and many times what the biblical writers will do to let you know exactly what the point of the story is, they'll make a statement at the beginning and then they'll repeat the same statement at the end. And that's exactly what Luke does here today. Look what he does in verse 40. He says, the child commit, uh, continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of the favor of God was upon him. Grace and favor, they use interchangeably in the New Testament. But then if you drop down to verse 52, he says, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. And so here you have this inclusio here. And, and, and the writer Luke, he's trying to make a point that when Jesus was raised, his parents raised him with a target. They raised him with a goal, and that's the point of the story when he stayed behind at the temple. All his life since he was born, he'd been participating in the Passover feast. Passover feast was one of the most important festivals in the life of the nation of Israel, celebrated the exodus of Israel out of Egypt. And so every year for 12 years, Jesus, along with his parents, marched all the way from Nazareth to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But on this 12th year, something moved the master. Something captured his attention. 
curiosity got the best of adolescence divinity. And, and, and he wanted to know something. He, he wanted to experience something. And the text says that when his mom and daddy came and found him, they found him sitting in the midst of teachers and scholars. I'll come back to that in a minute. And when they find him, Joseph and Mary, the text says that Mary says, we, where have you been? We've been anxiously looking for you. And that word anxious, it's, it's, it's a word that speaks of high anxiety, earthquake, earth shattering anxiety. Can I translate it for you? Boy, you about to wear me out. You about to tap dance on my last nerve. I'm going to need counseling and medication after you. Tell your neighbor, Jesus got on his parents' nerves. Amen. It's all right if your child got, gets on your nerve every now and then. And so they find him in the temple. And when they find him, they find him sitting in the midst of the scholars. And then he makes the statement, didn't you know I was about my father's business? Or didn't you know I was in my father's house? And the key to that verse is, that phrase, sitting in the midst of teachers and scholars, we kind of read that and think that Jesus is in class, he's learning. Because people who are sitting usually are learning and the one who is standing is doing the teaching like we are today. But in that culture, it was the reverse. <laughs> it was the one who was sitting that was in the place of authority. It was the one who was sitting that was in the place of teaching and those that were standing that were in the place of learning. And so here we have a picture of Jesus getting an early vision of who he was. He, he gets a vision of his purpose. He gets a sense of his identity. And if I can lay out four points here, that's my first one. Number one, if we're going to parent our kids in an adversarial culture, we've got to help them understand their identity. We, we've got to make sure they're clear on who they are. Because if we don't tell them who they are, the culture is dying to define them for us. Y'all don't hear me this morning. Jesus had a strong sense of who he was. And early on, he's getting a, a glimpse of what he shall become. Because in a word, identity precedes calling. Identity precedes a sense of purpose. Identity precedes destiny. Identity inspires a sense of stability and a sense of direction. And here in this text, what I love about it, Jesus is getting a glimpse of exactly why God put him on this planet. There was one thing our kids need to know from us. They need to know who they are. They need to know where they came from. And a couple of things about knowing who you are. Knowing who you are is knowing whose you are. Now, I know this sounds a little bit old-fashioned, but I don't believe we evolved from a lower form. But my Bible says that God made us in his own image. Matter of fact, David says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. No, I wasn't made. I didn't evolve from some animal. Maybe that's the reason why we see so much animalistic behavior in this generation, because we're teaching they've evolved from a lower life, when instead you've been made by the creator of all heaven, We've got to remind our kids that they have been made by God. Psalm 100 said, it is he who has made us, not ourselves. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. Matter of fact, every time you pray, our Father which art in heaven, you are declaring that God is your maker. And so identity is a function of whose you are. Then identity is also a function of where you've been. 
I couldn't leave that Passover, y'all. Israel celebrates her Passover, which is the, the liberation of Israel out of Egypt. And I know we don't want to talk about it, but we had our own Passover here in America in which God brought us out of degradation and bondage and Jim Crow and discrimination. And we've got to be quick to remind our kids from where they came from. I don't buy into this idea of a colorblind society because you're lying. Because when you see me, you see color. Don't, don't tell me you colorblind. No, when you see me, you see color. And when God made this thing, one day he's going to gather all ethnicities together. Whether you're black, white, Latino, Asian, it doesn't matter. God's going to bring it all together because he made us the way we are. And we got to make sure our kids know where they came from. Because how many of y'all know if you don't know where you came from, you sure don't know where you're going. You got to know where you came from. But then also, too, uh, knowing who you are is a function of what you are. It's culture, it's theology, but it's personality. And here's what I mean. I can only imagine that as a little boy, Mary told Jesus stories about him in his childhood probably told him the story about, you know, at your baby dedication, there was a man that came by the name of Simeon. And when he looked at you, he said, mine eyes have seen the salvation of Israel. There's something special to your life. And then there was another woman that came, Anna, the prophetess. And all she did was pray and prophesy in the temple with fasting and prayers. But when she saw you, she had never said this about nobody else's child. She says, there lies the redemption of Israel. Matter of fact, on the night you were born, shepherds came knocking at our door. Talking about they had seen a chorus of angels saying, saying peace and goodwill to all men. For this day a Savior has been born in the city of David. And over and over again, uh, uh, Mary and Joseph recounted the stories of their childhood. Trying to help Jesus to understand that, hey, hey, there's something special about you. And I say that because too many parents spend more time posting what is special about their child on Facebook when you need to be telling your child for themselves what makes them so special. Preach, Archie. I'm going to preach it all day long. We've got to be the one that conveys to our children who they are. Yeah, I'm reminded of when my, my mother was telling me of a story, and I've told y'all this story before, that she had connected with one of the individuals that stayed in our apartment complex when I was about five years old. And she told that mother, she said, you know, my son is a pastor now. She said, I'm not surprised. Because at five years old, when no other child would play with my child because of his autism, your son was the only one that would play with him. And I can see early on that now there's something special about his life. Those are the kind of moments, those are the kind of stories we got to tell our kids. We shouldn't beat them up because they tore up our computer. I know you're ready to cuss and fight. I done paid thousands of dollars. You done tore up my computer. No, you got to pause and say, but I realized in that moment that God put some technology in you. And you were breaking it down to its finer points. And you were trying to figure out how that thing worked. So that one day you can grow up and do something technological. We've got to tell the stories, y'all, of what our children 
can do. It's kind of like Myron Rowe. He, he was an NFL football player, played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, played for the Tennessee Titans, but he barely made the team in both cases until finally he was cut. And he may have spent about two or three years in the NFL, and he went home and he was heartbroken, defeated, because that was his dream. And he was ready to just give up on life until his mother slipped a piece of paper that he had written on when he was about 12 years old. And on that paper, he had two goals. One, play in the NFL. Two, be a neurosurgeon. And his mama said, you didn't complete it, number one. What you gonna do about number two? And today, he's a neurosurgeon, y'all, fulfilling his goals. All I'm simply trying to say, listen, we got to help our kids understand who they are. We've got to help our kids understand where they came from. We've got to be the first one to help them embrace who they are. Number one, it is identity. Number two, we've got to help. We've got to make sure we understand the shifts in the culture. And here I'm looking at verse one in terms of what caused and brought about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Text says, now there, those days, it was a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all of the all of the inhabited earth and here we have this philosophy of Rome Pax Romana in which they believe that through taxation and force they could civilize the world that they would bring language and culture and intelligence and customs to an ignorant and a backward world and this is something that Jesus grew up with. This was nothing new to him. Uh, it may have been new to the previous generation, but this was something that was a shift in the global culture. This was the way of life. It was nothing new. And so also, listen, we're living in a day where we see a lot of shifts that many times we don't understand. But that's how our kids came up. And so we must learn we must learn to shift our practices without shifting our principles. Even though the culture may shift in terms of its philosophies, its ideas and practices, it doesn't mean we have to shift our principles. We shift the practices, but we hold on to the principles so that we can parent our kids in an adversarial world. I, I got a quote here that I wanted to read to you. They'll put it on the screen because I want you to understand this. L listen to what uh, Max Planck says. Here's what he says. A new scientific truth does not triumph by convincing its opponents and making them see the light. Hear me now, this is rich. But rather because its opponents eventually die and a new generation grows up that is familiar with it. What is he saying? That when people buy into new ideas, it's not because they sat down, read a couple of books, listened to a few scholars and said, oh, I'm convinced of the truth. No, they grew up in terms of that's all they've ever known. And many times the reason why we see some of the challenges that our kids bring to us in our families, they are being raised with things that that's all they've ever known, even though it's new to us. So let me give you a couple of examples. How many of y'all still write checks? Let me see your hands. Okay, still a few of y'all. We're praying for you. We're praying for you. We're praying for you. Do you know this generation don't even know what a check is? 
Baby, go get my check out the mailbox. Huh? What you talking about? No, we, we, and that's the problem. We speak in check writing language to a cash app society. You, you, they don't even know what a check is. And, and it doesn't mean we change the principles, but we do have to change the practices. How many of y'all grew up and heard of the word weed? Oh. Now y'all gonna get quiet on me now. Oh, Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. You mean the, you mean the weeds in my yard? Is that what you're talking about? We grew up in which, come on, Mary Jane was illegal. Rick James wasn't talking about a woman, (laughs) y'all. I'm trying to help y'all. Here's my point. We grew up, it was completely illegal. You're in a day now, it's a way of life. Matter of fact, it's going to be prescribed eventually to deal with some of the challenges and mental issues that people struggle with. And listen, pushing back against it is not going to change anything. The issue is we got to come up with different practices in terms of how we deal with these differences. Can I really just kind of hold my road here a little bit? Y'all ready for this? I grew up and there were only two gender identities. Chris, is this mic on? Is it on? Is it on? Male and female. Open a new Facebook account. There are at least 70 different identities that you can identify yourself with. You're in a culture. Listen, we grew up. This is new to us. They grew up. That's all they know. That's all they know. And look, I'm going to keep saying it. I'm not trying to undermine parental authority. I'm definitely not trying to undermine the need for parental respect. Here's the issue. Sometimes we're trying to parent without understanding what we're parenting. Here's the problem with Christianity today. Let me tell you why people are rejecting it. We're rejecting stuff without even reading what they stand for. We just just outright reject it. And we don't even know how or why they came to that conclusion. And we wonder why it creates so much angst. So let me give you a couple of, couple of principles here. Number one, you can still have convictions without condemnation. You can hold your convictions. But the problem is, listen, this my way or the highway, let me tell you something. You're going to be by yourself. I'm trying to help somebody. I'm trying to help you. Tell your neighbor, pastor, trying to help you. He is trying to help you. This is a bounce, deuces generation. <laughs> I'm out of here, deuces, I'm done. So, so here's the point. You, you, you can hold convictions without condemnation. You can share those convictions. And let me, let me, be, let me, let me be clear on this, because I don't, I, don't, I don't want to be mis, misquoted on this. We, we have to learn to share our convictions without damaging dignity. Too much of what masquerades as truth is usually a billy club to beat somebody up. No, you just want to beat some folk up. I wish I had time just to deal with that. Here's the other one. Today, we got to earn respect. I know what we think. I'm the parent. That automatically ought to be respect. No, not today. Not today. Not today. Listen, I'm the pastor. I ought to automatically have respect. That's never been the case. Preach, pastor. Pastor. 
preach, pastor. No, the only reason people will follow the pastor or the vision of the church, he's earned some respect. So why is it, why is it, why is it that one parent, and I've seen it, one parent can fuss at that child and the child doesn't even take it personal. Child just jumps in line and the child is, can fit in with his culture, whatever. Another parent fusses at a child and the child's like, just wait till I hit 18. I'm out of here. I am bouncing. I will never be back. Why is it that one child will stay and is good, the other child can't wait to get from under the roof because the first parent earned the respect. Second parent, I don't know. Did you earn it? Did you earn it? We got to earn it. Look, the church has to earn respect today. We don't want to hear that. But we've lost it. And we're today, we got to earn that. Now, if you're going to lean in a direction, whatever you do as a parent, lean on mercy. Our culture wants you to lean on law. No. No, I'm going to lean on mercy. Why? Because when I was a kid, there were some folk that should have given me the law. Y'all don't hear me, but they leaned on mercy. Now, let me take it a little further. There was a time as an adult when God should have given me law. But is there anybody here that can testify? He gave me mercy. And let me say this. You never know what God is doing in the life of your family or in the life of that child. You never know what he's doing. So I'm saying simply this. Listen, you don't have to compromise your principles. But in a shifting culture, listen, the practices have to be different. If we're going to parent them. That, that's, that's the context in which God has called us to minister. And, and that's similar to the context in which Jesus here or Joseph and, and Mary were dealing with Jesus. And so number two, we got to be aware to shift. Number three, we got to create spaces. By spaces, I mean a place that is sacred in which our young people can come and talk with us. This is not something you can build overnight. This is something that takes time. I love this text what it says in verse 45, it says, when they did, did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of teachers, both listening to them. Here it is. And asking them questions. When I read that, I said, that's the kind of church I want to attend right there. Here was a church that was not afraid of the questions that kids bring into the temple. Listen, God made our children to ask questions. Matter of fact, God told Israel, look, when you celebrate the Passover and you're going through the Passover meal and you're eating the bitter herbs, the kid's going to be like, oh, that's nasty. Why I got to eat that? And then you tell them because we had a bitter bondage in Egypt. And this is a reminder of what God has done to bring us out of Egypt. God didn't tell them to say, shut up, don't be asking me no questions, just do what I tell you to do. No, answer the question! Now I know what you're saying. Well, Pastor, where are they getting all these questions? Here it is, right here. Turn your neighbor and say they go to Google University. Google University. You go too, you go too. Google University. And they're asking questions. And we've got to give them the space 
to be able to ask those questions and answer them. Watch this. We teach them respectfully. We teach them under parental authority. But you can ask the question. And again, this is not something that's going to happen tonight. You ain't going to just sit them down. Okay, ask your questions. <laughs> no. What, 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 what? That ain't going to work. <laughs> this is something over time. It happens over time. One of the things I, te- I try to teach couples, and I believe in this, this is something Lisa and I have practiced for years, that prayerfully and hopefully when you have a time in your marriage that you're not fighting, <laughs> when everything is cool and you don't have some burning issues that you want to raise, that as, a, that as a couple, once a month, maybe twice a month, the two of you need to sit down and simply go over a few questions. How are things going? How do you like your relationship? Is it possible that there's some things that happen that I'm unaware of that we need to address? Somebody said, ooh, I don't know if I want to do that. (laughs) Once a month. See, that's getting rid of all those weeds. And I'm not talking about marijuana now, okay? (laughs) I'm talking about real weeds. That's the way of getting all those weeds from out of your marital garden. Okay, And when you don't regularly go through and kind of assess and evaluate where you are, that's what creates conflict. And now we're in a day that has to happen, particularly when our kids become teenagers. And it's something, I'll be the first one to say, it's something I didn't do and should have done more often. But I did give them the platform. And it may have been the roughest day, two days in my life. You can say whatever you want that displeased you about your daddy. Ooh, that thing still hurt. <laughs> Find my little heart somewhere, blood just all over the place. <laughs> but guess what? It helps them connect with you. It helps them to see your imperfections as well as their own. It, it helps them to feel, okay, they do really care about me. Listen to me. I really don't believe our kids want perfection. They just want honesty. Trust. They're looking for somebody they can trust. And, and we got to be honest about our stuff. Matter of fact, let me give you this. Let me give you this. And I'm going to wrap this up. Let me give you this. I can tell you what your kids are thinking when you fussing. You're going to know today. Because I know you're sitting there now. I gave them all these. What were they thinking? I'm going to tell you. You're going to know today. You fussing, you tell them, I told you to be in the house at 9 o'clock, and you show up here at 11 o'clock. And they sitting there quiet with their arms folded. Go to your room. And they didn't say a word. And you wonder, I wonder what they were thinking. I'm going to tell you, you're going to know today. What about isms? So you getting mad at them because you told them to be home at 11 p.m., and they got home, no, you told them to be home at 9 p.m., and they got home at 11 p.m., and now you fussing to them. And here's what they're saying. Well, Grandmama said one time you didn't come home for four days. Is this mic on? Is this mic on? Is it on mic? Is it on? You getting on me about whether I'm having sex. 
And I can count and tell that something ain't right with the numbers. I'm just saying, listen, we in a day, I'm the parent, I wear the hat. That doesn't work anymore. Our kids need transparency. They need honesty. And it's really simple because I'm tired of whataboutism. I'm, I'm tired of it because it's nothing but a deflection from the real issue. But let me tell you what our kids need. They need confession. They need to know daddy made a mistake. Daddy was wrong. Daddy's trying to do the right thing. That's why I got the Lord in my life. Preach. Because he's a forgiving God. He's a merciful God. And he'll give you the energy and the power to do it the right way. And I'm trying to parent you the right way. Because I don't want you to fall into some of the traps I fell in. Are y'all hearing me today? It's, it's, it's about creating that space where they can ask questions. Now, look, I'm not saying you share all your business. Say, say amen. This, this is not Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever, okay? But I'm saying sometimes if we're really hard on some issues, maybe they see something in us. Well, you're not being honest here. And if you give them the freedom to open up and they know you ain't going to beat them down, trust me, they'll tell you. <laughs> they'll tell you. They need a space. That's all I'm trying to say. They need a space. And what they say, let me give you the last one. I'm going to wrap this up. The last one is faith. 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 That is, we need to teach our kids that we're going to always need someone bigger than us to handle the challenges that we may face. And here, uh, I go back to the custom. I know we don't like that word. Um, uh, as one old preacher would say, as a kid, I had a drug problem. My, my parents drugged me to church. <laughs> okay? Because what we're trying to teach them is that when you go through life, there's somebody bigger than you that will bring you through the difficulties of life. Let me wrap this thing up. I've been too long. Let me wrap it up. I had to, I had to get that out. Story is told of a little boy. He was, he was on a pond, had a toy boat, and, and he was playing with his little to toy boat in the pond and had it close near the, the banks. And the boat got too far where he couldn't go out and get it. He couldn't swim, so he wasn't going to jump out there and get it. And he couldn't get to the boat. And so his toy boat is out in the pond, in the middle, can't get it. He's, he's getting ready to cry. Man sees it. Gentleman nearby sees it. He said, don't worry, we're going to get the boat. Gentleman picks up some rocks, and he starts throwing them at the boat, at the boat, throwing it right at the toy boat. And the boy starts crying. What are you doing? You're going to sink my ship. And the man said, just, just watch what I'm doing. And he notices he really wasn't throwing the rocks at the ship, at the little toy boat. He was throwing the rocks on the other side. Because what he was trying to do with each rock, it was creating a wave or a ripple. And the ripple was pushing the toy boat back to where it belonged. The man used the ripples of the pond to help bring the, the boy's toy boat back to its destination. And that's all we got to teach our kids, church. We got to teach them that God is so wise. He can use ups and downs. He can use the trip. He can use the troubling waters of life 
and what we think is going to destroy us, he'll use it to draw us closer to him that we might have a relationship with him. We need the Lord. That's what we do in a culture. Let's prepare for the Lord's Supper. Come on. I'm wrapping this up. How is the Lord speaking to you today? More than anything, my prayer for you is that you create the space that you can begin to share with your child. Give them the freedom to say what they need to say. Don't take it personal. Work through it. Pray. Pray some more. Come back. Don't try to do it all in one session. But the goal is influence. The goal is to connect with our children, connect with our students in a way that they know that their parents are on their side. Let's bow for a moment of prayer and preparation. How is the Lord speaking to you today in this service? As a parent, as a person of faith, how is the Lord speaking to you about the culture? What's louder in your life, the culture or the Christ? How is the Lord speaking to you today? Lord, we, 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 we pause to honor you today and I, I just lift up all the parents at whatever place or station they are in life. Um, whether it's children, teen, adult, whatever it is, I, I, just, I just lift us all up because we're all in this place. The culture is very adversarial many times. And it's difficult to have those hard conversations. Lord, I'm asking even right now by your spirit for those who really need to have some good conversations with their kids. Lord, I pray that today would be the beginning to open that door, to sit down, to create the space, the sacred space where they can be heard and they can know that you love them and their parents love them dearly. Have your way this day. And Lord, as you speak to our hearts, speak to us now as we take the Lord's Supper that we might be the people that you called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.